You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So my old college roommate, Rick Santorum, maybe you know this, is running for president, kind of, sort of. And last week he was running around Iowa comparing gay marriage to a napkin and a paper towel and a glass of water and a glass of beer and a cup of tea and a basketball. The man has issues. Lawrence O'Donnell on The Last Word on MSNBC last week went ahead and stated the frothing obvious and said that Rick Santorum's campaign will be ending soon. I can't disagree with that. Rick's not raising any money. He's not making any inroads with Republican primary voters in Iowa or New Hampshire or anywhere else. The douchebag is trailing Tiffany Gingrich in the polls. How pathetic is that? And uh, I got to give a shout out to my good friends at Slate, those adorable eggheads. You guys were wrong uh, back in March when you predicted that the frothy mixed definition of Santorum would lose its search primacy as Rick campaigned for president because he'd be making news and then all the news he was making running for president would elevate his own website and other news articles to top spots on Google. And that turned out not to be true because the only news Rick Santorum has made during this campaign is about his Google problem and attacking me. Now, as we look forward to the end of the Rick Santorum presidential campaign and no one, honest to God, honest to God, no one is looking forward to the end of Rick Santorum's campaign more than I am. It is exhausting to have to be the only person in America who is required to pay attention to the lowest polling candidate in the Republican field week in, week out. So I'm looking forward to it. But – as he winds up his campaign, I think we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, what was the douchebag campaigning for? I hate having to break this to any little old ladies out there who sent Rick checks after he explained that marriage is a napkin and gay marriage is a paper towel. But Rick Santorum was never really running for president. The douchebag lost his Senate seat in 2006 by 18 points to an empty suit. And you would have to be more delusional than even Rick Santorum to think you could get your ass elected president after being turned out of office in your home state by 18 points. Santorum is running behind Barack Obama in polls in his home state of Pennsylvania. He never stood a chance, you know, and he knew it. Rick Santorum was never running for president. He was campaigning for four more years on Fox News. Here is the plan. Santorum is going to share the stage at GOP debates with actual candidates, maybe pick up a few delegates in Iowa and South Carolina, secure a primetime speaking slot at the Republican National Convention. And then in January of 2013, Santorum was going to march into Roger Ailes' office at Fox News and demand a big fat raise on account of his greatly enhanced national profile and then return to Fox News as a highly paid contributor. But that plan of Rick's to manipulate the GOP nomination process for cash depended really on one thing. He had to run a plausible campaign. He couldn't embarrass himself. But Santorum has performed so badly, his campaign has been such a disaster that he's going to have to beg old Roger Ailes for his job back. Santorum, in some polls, is trailing Fred Carger, the openly gay Republican stunt candidate. 
that's gotta hurt. Looks like God was just fucking with you, Rick. Rick, of course, said that God told him to jump in this race. If that's true, God was really fucking with you, Rick. Sam Torm really thought that his record of rabid anti-gay bigotry would help him raise enough money to run that plausible campaign that he has not run. And it didn't. Anti-gay bigotry remains hugely important to the Republican base, except, of course, my Republican listeners who will now write me and tell me that we're not all bigots. Well, I agree. You're not all bigots. Go tell Rick Santorum. But anti-gay bigotry remains important to the GOP base because beating up on queers makes folks in red states with their higher rates of divorce, teen pregnancy, and out-of-wedlock births feel like they're all right with God, so long as they're beating up on the homos. But anti-gay bigotry... You know, it just isn't enough anymore because they're all anti-gay bigots now. Everyone running for president on the GOP side. Bachman's your lunatic bigot. Perry's your confederate bigot. Palin's your subliterate bigot. Romney's your opportunistic bigot. Gingrich is your hypocritical bigot. And Rick Santorum, my man, my old college roommate Rick Santorum, he is yesterday's bigot. Your calls after this? This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Support for the Savage Lovecast comes from Harper Perennial, publisher of Sex at Dawn, the book that rethinks everything we thought we knew about marriage, family, sex, and society. Now available in paperback with new material wherever books are sold. Hi, Dan. I have been listening to your show for a while, and I know that you support lifestyles of all kinds, and you have your beliefs that generally polyamory is good, but I've also flat out heard you say that there are some people where monogamy works. And basically, I just was hoping you might say a few things on that, because I personally feel like I've been facing a lot of discrimination from my poly, uber-kinky friends, because I have a monogamous, committed what you almost might say boring relationship compared to the rest of them. I'm still, in a weird way, pretty active in the kink community. I have a site on kink.com. I've done some kink modeling. I have. I used to actually be a go-go dancer at a BDSM club. But I'm a little tired of people looking at me like I am denying something because I'm happy in a relationship with one person where we have great sex privately and we do our own shit privately and we don't need to go out and tie each other to crosses in public places and beat the crap out of each other. So I'm just hoping you might, that you could say a few words that us uh, less extreme people are not bad, we're not denying ourselves. There are a lot of us who exist out there who are happy the way we are, and it doesn't mean anything. We're not discriminating against you. Please don't discriminate against us. I know that you've said stuff like this before, and I'm just hoping you might say it again so I can play it for my friends and tell them to shove it up their asses, even though they shove things up there all the time. Thanks. Bye. Generally, I believe that what works works. If what you're doing works for you, that's great, and you should keep doing it, and no one should assail or question you. I don't tell people who are in monogamous relationships who are content and people who are in monogamous relationships and content don't send me letters. So usually when I'm talking about monogamy or it comes up, I'm talking to people who are discontentedly monogamous 
and often find myself recommending non-monogamy. And then it can sound like I'm pushing non-monogamy on everybody. When I'm not, I'm pushing non-monogamy sometimes on people who have self-selected, have identified themselves as people that monogamy isn't working for. And I often recommend non-monogamy sometimes as a last-ditch attempt to salvage an otherwise terrific, fabulous, fun relationship that might be saved by non-monogamy or by some latitude or by adopting, as I call it, a monogamish relationship style. And I think that's created the impression out there among some that I am, ex- you know, I believe that everybody should be in a non-monogamous relationship, and that's absolutely not true. I believe everybody should be happy and content and GGG, and they get to define that for themselves. If you're happy, that's all that matters, and you should have the courage and the backbone to stick your middle finger up in the friends of your group think subculture friends and tell them to fuck off and that you're not judging or condemning them and they shouldn't judge or condemn you. That your lifestyle is the alternative lifestyle in your social circles is kind of hilarious and you should tell them that you demand the same respect for your alternative lifestyle in that arena that they're demanding from the wider culture for their alternative lifestyles. You know, sometimes you see this. You see gay people who insist that everybody has to be gay, particularly every good-looking guy has to be gay. And you see bisexual people who are running around saying that everybody's really bi. And now you see, of course, polyamorous or kinky people saying that everybody is really or should be bi, you know, bi, poly, kinky, whatever. Uh, Because that way happiness lies and anybody who isn't poly or kinky or in an open relationship is in denial or has a sex life that isn't as fun or invigorating as it could be and is miserable, blah, blah, blah. It's just an expression of their own insecurity. It's this desire to be surrounded by only people who uh, reflect back at them the same choices or desires or happinesses that work for them. And all you have to do is be strong, just like sexual minorities have to be strong in the face of, you know, a crushing culture of conformity and condemnation and sex negativity. And, you know, we sexual minorities, and I'm going to include you, straight lady, in a monogamous relationship in my definition of sexual minority because you are the sexual minority in your clique. We have to stand up and just say, you know what? That's not true and fuck you and then get on with our lives and not obsess over the judgment. Although I just did a 10-minute rant about Rick Santorum at the top of the show. But, uh, you know, just not obsess too much. Obsess occasionally. Get it out of our system and then move on. And I think you can get it out of your system by sticking your middle finger up in the faces of the people who are judging and condemning you and telling them to fuck off and not to be such appalling hypocrites when they judge you the way they themselves have been judged. Hey, Dan and the at-risk youth. Uh, got a question. I'm a 33-year-old, overweight, recently single father of two. Um, I'm overweight thanks to an injury I received in Iraq. And while I was in Iraq, I also lost my filter uh, to keep myself, I don't know, PC. Now that I'm single, I'm having an issue with talking to ladies. I find that I am often too blunt and too honest and sometimes too crass. Um, How do I fix this? So, uh, you know, I just listened to your call and I wanted to ask you how recently single you are. Um, The divorce became official Tuesday. Tuesday? Um, Yeah. Okay. Um, And how long? However, 
Uh, she's been, she left uh, to move in with one of her boyfriends, uh, wow, nine months ago. So it's been, it's been nine months since, since you split with your wife. Kind of. Um, the relationship was over shortly after my son was born, my youngest son. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be two in October. And we were trying the whole, let's stay in the same house for the kids. And that didn't um, work out? Oh, no. Okay, and um, so the, the th- questions you asked me about were, you know, you're having a hard time dating because you're overweight, which in America, where most of us are, shouldn't be that big an issue unless it's, you know, fatal to your self-confidence, which can make dating hard. Um, and also the blunt, crass, honest thing uh, you brought up. And the first thing I want to say is, you know, you're only just out of this marriage as of Tuesday and as of yeah. the last nine months. And you're the full-time parent? Yes, sir. So it doesn't sound like there's been much time or opportunity really for you to date in the last nine months. Uh, not really. And that, well, I mean, I've, I've got a good support group of friends. Um, I have a quasi-church home mm-hmm. um, that is a support network. And so I have the opportunity, to, like I have someone that can watch them when I can go. But the biggest issue for me is the fact that um, I was married for 13 years. And, you know, it's another wonderful example of failed monogamy. And my thing is, is, you know, I don't know how to date anymore. Right. And um, I've been told that I give too much information. I've been told that, you know, I'm blunt, I'm rude, I'm crass. Mm. And it's just me. Well, that's, you know, one of the things we have to do when we date is parse ourselves out slowly. You know, if anybody, whatever their life experience, whatever their background, just unloaded, that's going to drive people away. Even it'll drive people away for whom whatever your issues, whatever issues were being unloaded on them all at once weren't necessarily deal breakers over the long run. It just demonstrates low emotional intelligence to just spew at people. That that causes people to doubt your fitness as, you know, potential sex partner or life partner just because it betrays bad judgment. And we look for good judgment in our partners, okay. right? So yeah. you have to learn to hold back and to and to play the game. You know, when you go out and you date, it, it's not fake. You know, some people say, oh, I, don't, I shouldn't be fake and I shouldn't have to be someone I'm not. No, you should be who you are, but you should – you should uh, – Only give them little samples? Yeah, you should be very careful about rolling yourself out slowly, like a presidential campaign. And you, you know, you lead with your best. And some people say that that's, you know, fake, but everybody does it. You know, you put on you put your best self forward. The people that you meet who might be interested in you, they're doing the same, right? You both know that that's okay. what's going on, that it's, you know, it's not a deposition a first date. You don't have to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, you, and I, I you, guess part of part of my thing, Dan, is the fact that it's not just telling the truth; it's you know answering questions honestly. Like what? Give me an example where you fucked up. Um, you know, one that I can think of is the fact that you know I was in a BDSM for a very long time. Uh huh. And so I have, you know, I, I've done fireplay. I have fireplay kits, and you know. 
if they happen to see that, they're like, what's that? I don't deny what it is. Why is a fireplace kit laying out where a date can see it? Um, that's probably a good question. Especially when there are children in the house. Not that a, a, a seven-year-old's going to look at a fireplay kit and go, oh, that's a BDSM toy. But, you know, you yeah, put well, little plastic things in the outlet so they don't stick their fingers in there. You don't want accelerants laying around where children can get them. Correct. And I, and I agree with that. I have uh, two of my uh, firefloggers have special-made handles. And so they're actually hung up uh-huh. like, on the wall. They're, they're, they're almost art pieces to me as well. And so they're hung. Okay, well, there are pieces that you now know have spooked potential dates, right? Mm-hmm. Not because, you know, there are people who, you know, if they fall in love with you, they might go there, they might be interested in BDSM, but they might look at that and go, okay, he's got sex toys hanging on the wall in his living room, there are children here, and we've only just met. Okay. And that betrays bad judgment. Even, even for someone who's kinky. That would display bad judgment that would lead them to believe that maybe you weren't somebody they wanted to get involved with. It's that kind of judicious sort of presentation that when you're single, you kind of have to think about. Not because you have okay. to like never be open, not because these things are th- something you have to hide from someone you're dating all your life, but you want to, you know, haul out the fireplay floggers at the appropriate moment. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fag, right? When I was single and dating and I... I, would, I think you are. <laughs> I, 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 don't have, I don't have, like, proof. Confirmation. You know, uh, you'll have to take, I, I will take your word. <laughs> I'm a fag. And when I was single and I would go to a gay guy's house and there would be, you know, a, a bucket, you know, one of those squirt huge bottles of lube next to his bed and on the coffee table an art book, which is all just naked pictures and you know, framed photos of torsos on the walls. I would just think, even if I'm into, I'm into naked guys with great torsos. Lube is a fine thing. I recommend it. I'm into coffee table art books. All these things are fine. But I would look at those things and just go, oh, God. Okay. You know, lube belongs, you know, not in 50-gallon drums and not right beside the bed. Because what does that communicate to me? That communicates to me something about this person. Maybe they're overactive or maybe they're just... Just a little uh, too focused on sex, or they have expectations, and it would turn me off. Okay. And maybe, you know, maybe some of the guys that I went to their houses when I was dating, and they had those awful prints on the wall and the 50-gallon tub of lube by the bed with the squirt handle. Maybe I unfairly dumped them too soon. But to me, that displayed kind of bad judgment and low emotional IQ. And so maybe what you need to do is, you know, look around and see what you're doing that displays not, you know – isn't about hiding who you are because dating is about revealing who you are and opening up to a person gradually. You don't want to withhold, but you don't want to dump everything on someone all at once. You need to look around and and ask yourself, okay, if I walk, if you walked into a woman's house and there were sex toys hanging on the wall, what would you think? A little bit promiscuous, perhaps. Bad ju- and bad judgment. She's, bad judgment. Yeah, she, no, I, she's I, made I, assumptions I about you that aren't true, right, in that moment. She, she assumed that this Correct. is something that you wouldn't look askance at. And for her, maybe, okay, maybe this, you know, vibrator is also uh, an art piece. 
because a friend made her. You know, you can she could have yeah. the same thought process going on. Doesn't change yeah, the I, fact I, that there's a sex that. toy nailed to the wall. Yeah, I get, I, I get that. that. That that's something that could be changed, and that's that's I guess part of you know how do I improve my emotional IQ other than the fact that I've downloaded every podcast and every news <laughs> article I can find from this wonderful fag named Dan Savage. And it hasn't helped, you know, has it? Oh, my God, that totally crushes um, me. Actually, I think it has helped. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, the only twist is the fact that now, you know, I have ten great drag queen friends that are like, are you sure you're not gay? And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure, I, you know, penis is not in my, you know, forte. Uh-huh. Penises yeah. aren't my popsicles. No, no, I'm not going to burp them. Someone else can. <laughs> you know, if you have drag queen friends, they tend to know something about the way women feel. Not entirely, but they can help you. You should lean on your friends and say, I'm having a hard time dating. I'm sometimes too blunt and too aggressive. Help me take the edge off. You know, nudge me when I'm being too forward. Nudge me when I'm being too blunt. And you, you know, a lot of people say, oh, when I meet people, I'm too blunt. I'm too honest. I'm too direct. And what they're they're kind of paying themselves kind of a compliment in that moment, saying, "Oh, my problem is I'm just too good. I'm too like these are virtues, honesty." Oh no, I, I know I know I'm not good. No, I mean, and the thing is, is you know, one of my downfalls is I live in the middle of the Bible Belt, and I am way liberal. Any plan? Know? Any plans to get the fuck out of there? Um, if I could find a job out oh. of here, then yeah, I would be gone in a heartbeat. But the job market... Um, Do you have is, a job there? Yeah. Okay, and I you have, have kids and you have responsibilities and you should stick around. And I would recommend yeah. for you FetLife and Adult Friend Finder. Uh, you say, Party you say, on Fet. Okay, you and, say you were into BDSM. Are you still? Would I be? Yes. Um, I, I don't believe in random play. Right, and I'm, I'm right there and with I'm you. Saying, but, I'm not saying I don't believe... Well, I'm not saying random hookups aren't bad. But there's a trust issue when it comes to beating the hell out of someone. I couldn't have said it better myself. But you can lead with that. Like, you will attract women then who that's a non-issue for or something that recommends you to them. And then date and then date and then go out on dates and be nice and be respectful. And, you know, think before you speak and remind yourself to do that. I'm socially awkward, too. I'm a little – I can be a total asshole, right? When I met my husband, Terry, I had to be like, okay, don't fuck this up. Don't talk to him like you talk to your friends who know you. And that's, that's part of my thing is, you know, I've, I have a, you know, one of my queen friends made the comment that I'm not a dick, I'm just open. And I was like, okay, thanks. They said that to you about you? Yeah. Told me, I'm not a dick, I'm just open. Okay. Well, if you know that that's not working for you romantically... And I think you need to ease up a little bit on yourself. It's only been nine months. A lot of people have dry spells that can last a few years. A lot of people with small children have dry spells that last longer than that. So I don't get bitter. Don't get angry if this continues for another year. In that time, though, practice you know, modifying the things that you say as they come out of your mouth. Practice taking the edge off. If you have any okay. female friends or relatives, go to them and ask for advice about what you're okay. doing wrong because they're seeing it firsthand and I'm not. But I would, um, I would urge you to take The one that has given me advice told me I need to start going to church and find a lady in the church and that's probably not going to work for me. 
you know, there's some overlap between Christianity and BDSM. I wouldn't necessarily oh, rule those ladies out. <laughs> absolutely, there is, and that's that's what I that's why I say you know it all falls together. But you it might you might have an easier time meeting somebody in church who's respects that you're a single dad. You know, meeting some single twenty five year old on the kink scene probably that person won't be down with you manning up, stepping up to the plate, and raising your kids. Right, that okay. that might be so. So, just like cast a wide net, you never know who you'll meet in church. Think of all those altar boys; they didn't know who they'd meet in church that day. <laughs> you'll never know who you're going to meet in church, right? You never know who True. you're going to meet on Fet Life. You never know who you're going to meet anywhere. So, just be out there everywhere, be open, and be cagey. Be a little strategic about how okay. you roll out, you know, all of your personality. You know, I am an asshole, and my husband has come to love and appreciate that. But if I had been the complete asshole that I can be the night we met, he never would have spoken to me again. Yeah. Okay? Okay. You need to get back to your kids. I'm worried about kids, accelerants, and floggers in an apartment all by themselves. Accelerants is locked up. Okay. Um, Floggers are on the wall, and Alvin and Chipmunks 2 is on TV. (laughs) It sounds so Bible Belt. So wholesome. Oh, you're... And listen, you know, thank you for going over to Iraq. Thank you for what you did. I'm sorry that you were injured. I'm glad you're on the mend. Take a deep breath. Relax. Enjoy this time with your kids. Listen, my kid's 13. Enjoy this time with your kids. Seven and two or five and two, enjoy it. Seven and two, yeah. Enjoy it. And, 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 And take a deep breath. And, you know, I know what sexual deprivation can be like. Take a deep breath. Masturbate a lot. And and good luck. And give us a call back sometime and give us an update. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. Sure thing. Bye. Support for the Savage Lovecast comes from Harper Perennial, publisher of Sex at Dawn, which I've described as the single most important book about human sexuality since Alfred Kinsey unleashed sexual behavior in the human male on the American public in 1948. Newsweek calls Sex at Dawn funny, witty, and light, a book that will have you reading the best parts aloud and reassessing your ideas about humanity's basic urges well after the book is done. You all know how I feel about this book. I've talked this book up for the last year and a half. Uh, if you haven't read it, if you didn't want to read it when it was in hardcover because it was too expensive, now's your chance. And uh, the paperback includes new material, including the interview that we did right here on the podcast with co-author Christopher Ryan. Go out and get it wherever books are sold. Hi, Dan. 30-year-old gay man in San Francisco, and I really like smooth butts. Um, I try to find guys online who have smooth bodies, but when I spread their cheeks, I find what I like to call the mohawk, which is a strip of hair around the anal area, and this doesn't show up in their photos. A lot of guys list themselves as smooth, but they're really not in this way. Um, I'm wondering what is a polite way of asking about this before actually meeting them? I convened a panel of noted sex experts and advisors and me and Abby and Carolyn Hacks and and Amy Dickinson and Margot Howard. We all put our heads together and none of us could come up with a polite way to ask if anyone has hair around his asshole. You know, there's a difference between smooth and hairless. There's a difference between generally smooth, which means mostly hairless, and neck down alopecia. As Tim Minchin put it, one of his brilliant songs. If it's really a deal breaker for you, any hair at all around the asshole, you should be a gentleman and offer to pay for a waxing. 
before you come over. But a little hair here and there is something that you're just going to have to endure because humans are covered in hair. Some more, some less. There's usually a little bit around the asshole. And it seems to me that someone for whom a tiny bit of hair around an otherwise smooth guy's butthole is a deal breaker and a disappointment and an existential crisis may be too delicate for the dating world. Maybe you should get a blow-up doll. They're completely hairless. They're just what the doctor ordered. Or maybe you should be in a relationship with somebody who's mostly smooth and then graciously offer to shave their assholes for them. Waxing is expensive and some people don't want to stick their asshole in the face of a stranger in a waxing salon. And shaving your own asshole is difficult. Some people may have a little hair around their asshole and not even know it because they don't spend – because they can't put their eyes where you can. Get into a relationship with somebody who's hairless enough and then offer to shave them. But really, me, Amy, Margo, Caroline, the whole crew, we couldn't come up with a polite way to ask somebody about the hair around their assholes before you show up and stick your tongue in it. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hello, Dan. Uh, My name is Mike and... I had a girlfriend who cheated on me a little bit ago, and that's no problem. I kind of let that go. Everything's fine. Um, Unrelated to that, a couple months later, my friend's super hot wife just got her nipples pierced, and she wants me to look at them. Her husband, my good friend, is A-OK with that. He wants me to take a look at them. He wants me to see them, but I know that my girlfriend, who I forgive, would not be okay with that. She would have a fit if she knew that I was looking at other women's breasts. Um, I would like to do it, not necessarily for a medical reason. I would actually just like to see your breasts. And this is an excuse I have. I think they kind of know that. I think they kind of like that. Like I said, my girlfriend I know wouldn't like that. I have a hard time differentiating whether or how much of this is something I want to see. I do want to see it, I guess. And how much of it is me trying to get back uh, for what happened. Um, you know, she's such another cock, has another cock since I've seen another pair of breasts and would like to see that. Like I said, she'd freak out. Probably we're talking that, but I was just wondering what your take on that was. It's ironic that so many cheaters are so controlling when it comes to their partners. Years ago, I asked a friend if he was monogamous, if his relationship was monogamous, and he paused and said, yes and no. And what he meant was, yes, his boyfriend is. No, he isn't. And he was the jealous type because he was projecting onto his boyfriend the actions that he knew he himself had engaged in or was planning to engage in. Uh, And so he was attempting to control his boyfriend's behavior because he knew what he was capable of, that he's capable of cheating and lying and blah, blah, blah. And so he looked at his boyfriend and saw the same capacity for dishonesty. 
your girlfriend is very hypocritically doing that to you. She is jealous and controlling not because she doesn't trust you but because she clearly can't be trusted. So she projects that onto you and probably every other guy she's ever dated. I would I would urge you in this situation to push back hard and not pander to your girlfriend's batshittery, controlling ways and her hypocrisy and say, I'm going to look at my buddy's tits uh, – just say to her, I'm going to look at my buddy's girlfriend's tits if she wants to show them to me. It's a, not quite as bad as what you've done. So lay the fuck off. Why don't you come with and check them out too? And then if she breaks up with you, you're well rid of her. Hi, Dan. This is a caller from Vancouver, British Columbia. I recently moved here from the southwest United States and I'm working on a farm. I also live there. My problem is I'm a lesbian and I'm out. Everyone knows, except my boss. And my boss doesn't know because she hasn't really seemed to take an interest in my personal life. She doesn't seem to care, which is fine with me. We don't need to have a conversation around it if it doesn't need to happen. But if it does, I'll be perfectly open with her. Her daughter, on the other hand, got a hold of my cell phone one day. And she saw the number, and it was one of my friends who was male. And she somehow got it into her little 12-year-old head that he's my boyfriend or something. And I don't know what the best way is to make this one go to rest because she likes to bring it up all the time. She's always trying to, like, tease me about it like a 12-year-old girl would do. And my instinct is either to just say, hey, kid, look, I'm a lesbian. I don't have a girlfriend right now. Uh, You're barking up the wrong tree and kind of blow her mind and be a role model. But the other half of me is worried because my boss is very religious. Her daughter goes to a Catholic school, and it might not really be worth my while to to educate this kid if maybe she's already had this conversation with her parents and she's been told something else. Um, yeah, so I was just wondering if you had some good advice on what to do about that. I wonder how your conservative Christian employer would feel about her 12-year-old daughter digging around an adult female employee's cell phone. Probably not so hot. She might think that was a problem. If your employer is rational and not an abusive or psychotic Christian parent, you might want to just go to her and not say, I'm a lesbian and that ain't my boyfriend. Could you ask your daughter to shut up? Just say, your daughter got a hold of my cell phone. She looked at some messages. She found messages from a guy that were completely innocuous because they were because you're not fucking him because you're a dyke. You don't have to mention that. And say, uh, I would appreciate if you could ask her to just stop teasing me about it. She keeps bringing this guy up as if he's my boyfriend and he's not. I'm single. The end. Uh, if you are afraid that coming out to your employer might – cost you your job. I don't think you're obligated to come out to your employer. He said through clenched teeth because I believe everyone should be out in every aspect of their lives and it's only when people know that they know a gay person that they tend to reassess their bigotries. But it sounds like this might be a slightly dicier situation. I might get you, you know, a pass where you don't have to come out right now to them because, you know, it's a farm. You presumably live with these people. You're a lesbian. She has a 12-year-old pubescent daughter. It could like completely flip her out, cost you your job in this economy, uh, which I don't think you have an obligation to um, do. I don't think you're obligated to run that risk right now. But you certainly can circumvent all this bullshit just by going to mom and saying, she's looking at my phone, found this thing. Is 
you know, just teasing me about it in a, you know, just the 12 year old girl way. And at first it was okay, but it's kind of relentless. Now I'm just tired of it and I'm single and it's not my boyfriend. Just ask her to stop. I would do that. And then I would come out to them when I'm leaving the job and blow their minds. Once they really know you and really like you and you've been such a great employee and you're moving on, uh, then uh, or shortly before then, you can come out to them. And if you think they're going to fire you for it, you can come out to them and then sue them. Yeah, hey, Dan. Um, I have been listening for a real long time, and I have yet to actually hear this question come on the air. And that is, uh, as a gay man, I uh, seem to run into an unbelievably huge amount of guys who are into bareback sex. Anonymously, like, through hookup sites, and even, like, just meeting people in a bar randomly. Um, I feel like I'm the social outcast because I'm not into bareback sex. My main motivation for that is I don't want any STDs. And when people respond to me that I'm not into bareback sex, they look at me like I'm a, a platypus. Um, it's gotten to the point where I, I literally have to like trick people or lead them on that I'm into it just to find out if they're into it. Cause some people are sneaky, you know? And, uh, you know, once I find out that that's their thing, I'm actually not interested in having sex with them anymore. Um, and people have been treating me like I'm the dickhead for that stance. So my question is, is what is the deal with the gay culture not caring about STDs or HIV? Are they not as big a deal as people make it sound? Because I feel like it's a big deal. Boiling your question down, what is wrong with gay men? A lot of gay men are really self-destructive. A lot of gay men want to uh, – gay people – a lot of gay men are really self-destructive. Gay men smoke at higher rates, abuse drugs, not use, abuse, there's a distinction. Abuse drugs at higher rates, uh, drink more and then of course – being men, fuck more. And that same self-destructiveness that you can see in play with drug abuse, smoking, with drinking too much comes into play with sex. And why wouldn't it? If you have issues with unresolved issues, internalized homophobia, whatever, around being gay and you can punish yourself for being gay with gay sex, that's a stick that some gay men will pick up and beat themselves with. And eroticize because, of course, it's sex. And sex without condoms is hotter feels better, some people maintain, is easier, uh, blah, blah, blah. It is also, of course, riskier. You know, new HIV case study report last week from the CDC holding steady despite all prevention efforts, uh, despite the fact that people on uh, the drug cocktail are much less infectious. Some reports are saying not infectious than uh, people who aren't. And a lot of the guys out there who are positive and know it are on the drug cocktails and are out there having unprotected sex and not spreading it. So this new, you know, the, the rate of 50,000 new infections a year that is holding steady despite prevention efforts, despite the fact that guys who are on, new dr on the drug cocktail are much less infectious, that's a depressing stat. And there's a real problem, a real cancer in the gay community. And I'm not sure exactly what to do about it. I've been beating my head against a wall about it for 20 years. And I'm not sure that really anything can be done except folks like you need to stand your ground if you don't want to beget 
if you don't want to get HIV, if you don't want to get anal gonorrhea, if you don't want to get syphilis, uh, stand your ground and insist on condoms. In you know an anonymous situation when you're with somebody that you don't know and trust and three months isn't enough time to know and trust somebody. Guys, you got to be with somebody a lot longer than three months before you throw the condoms away. But there are a lot of guys out there who are doing the mental calculus and figuring that an HIV infection and going on the drugs is not as big a pain in the ass as using condoms correctly every time they have sex. That they're doing a risk-benefit analysis and deciding that the risk of infection is worth the benefit of unprotected intercourse. You aren't one of those guys. Please stand your ground. And if all the guys you're meeting are barebacking dumb fucks, I would ask you to look at where you're meeting these guys because it's just not the case that all gay men don't use condoms. The, the research and stat shows that that's not true, that a majority of gay men use condoms. Uh, and are responsible. So if every single guy you're meeting is a barebacking dumb fuck, go meet guys someplace else. Hey, Dan. Um, recently, you know, I've just kind of, I live in New York City. I've been dating around, just having fun. And I've been shocked at the number of guys that have asked me to have unprotected sex. And all of these guys I've been seeing very casually, you know, more than two or three days were not monogamous. And I just find it so strange just because I don't know if it's just the education system. And for me, it actually prevailed and drilled into my head to say, save sex, save sex, save sex. Like, to me, it's not even, I don't even fathom it as an option to have sex without a condom. Um unless you're in a long-term monogamous relationship with somebody you trust. So I was just wondering what you thought about that, because and these men were all, you know, they're in their early 30s, they're educated, successful men. They're not like idiot crackheads or something. Um, I'm wondering what you have to say about that. Do you think that's common? Do you think I just happen to be stumbling upon the weirdos? Or, yeah, so what's up? I just wanted to run your call so that all the listeners out there wouldn't get the impression that it wasn't just gay people that had this problem around safety and responsibility and condom use and uh, brains. What's up with the guys you're dating? I don't know. They're in their 30s. Maybe they've been manipulating women into not using birth control or not using condoms uh, consistently and have never pulled the short straw and so figure that, you know, the risks are overblown. And maybe in the circles you travel, the risks are overblown. You know, HIV prevalence rate among, you know, middle class and upper class and white uh, straight people, really, really low. So when it comes to HIV, it is kind of a non-issue for most uh, straight folks, even in a place like New York. That said, you know, heterosexual sex, chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, pregnancy, those are real and big issues and much likelier to draw the short straw on any one of those issues. Um, what's up with the guys you're fucking? I don't know. They sound like cliche, manipulative, douchebag, straight guys who don't want to wear condoms and want you to take all responsibility for uh, birth control and assume all risks for the consequences of unprotected sex, including a higher risk of STI transmission from male to female and, of course, a 100% risk of uh, having to shoulder all the negative consequences potentially of an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, don't fuck those guys. 
or tell those guys you will only fuck them with a condom because you are not an idiot, even if they are. And most guys, when they hear that, will put the condom on. There's not a straight guy in America who will walk away from pussy over a condom. They would rather have pussy with a condom than no pussy at all. You too stand your ground. Hi, Dan. This is a comment inspired by a call from episode 251. And pretty much every, oh my God, I'm monogamous, but I want to open my relationship, but my partner doesn't want to. OMG, WTF, BBQ call that you've ever received. It is possible. It is probable that one partner can be non-monogamous and the other partner doesn't have to be. Um, That's a real-world solution, guys. I'm married to someone who is monogamous. I'm non-monogamous. When you open your relationship, it doesn't have to be a two-way thing. Um, If you want to fuck lots of people and your partner really doesn't, then it's okay for them to say, go and have fun, honey, tell me about it later, be safe. Um, You don't have to sleep around or open your sex life up if you don't want to. You can just let your partner do it and it'll be okay. Like, especially for dudes who really don't want to go find somebody else, let your lady have some fun and, you know, you can play more World of Warcraft or whatever it is that dudes do. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to Podcast 251 with a guy who was wondering about opening up a relationship to friends and family. My husband and I are in an open marriage, and uh, we discovered that um, he, aside from encountering the usual issues with a straight guy in an open marriage trying to uh, to encounter any kind of female partner, because um, it takes the doing times longer for him than it does for me to find a partner. Um, if he shops around amongst our mutual female friends, he gets no joy whatsoever. Uh, it's not that our mutual female friends don't like him and don't like me. It's that um, that they don't want to share a man with me. And I've been talking with other poly couples, um, with other open marriages, uh, because the internet is a wonderful place where we can all get together and discuss these things. And I'm noticing a trend uh, that this is pretty much the case, uh, that women who are secure enough and, uh, and strong enough in personality to, to participate in and be enthusiastic about an open marriage are not the kind of women that other single women really want to share a man with. Uh, so I would say either uh, don't open up the relationship to friends and family, uh, and have the guy only shop around among strangers or have the guy only shop around amongst other poly couples where uh, we women seem to be kind of of the same breed. Yeah, I'm calling in response to episode 251, uh, specifically the girl who is looking for a guy you know who, who doesn't look at porn, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke weed. Well, I, I've got nothing against you know people who, who are kind of straight edge and and others be the same, but the notion that she has that it's impossible for someone to ever, you know, to ever drink or or, or get high without being an addict, and that suggests that maybe she might actually have to, um, she might need to unpack, unpack a few things with a counselor. You know, I myself, you know, have uh, have issues with uh, drug and alcohol abuse in my family, but 
know, but I, I've come to accept that occasionally people can get drunk and not, you know, without being, you know, a complete junkie or alcoholic. I'm, I'm thinking maybe, you know, if she, uh, she, she might need to unpack some of the stuff with a counselor if she ever wants to interact with human beings again, romantically or not. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Of course, Rick Santorum, my old college roommate. You have my cell. You can call me anytime. You don't have to call the podcast week after week, Rick. Ask me to talk to me. Just call myself. For everybody else who wants more Savage in your life, there are these Savage Love apps for iPhone and Android available wherever apps are available for iPhones and Androids. Go there. Get the Savage Love app. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth will be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>